Well, I want to welcome you to Burke Community Church. If you're visiting, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Michael Coffey. And if you're visiting and haven't had the chance to hear the senior pastor, Dr. Marty Baker, you are in for a treat, as I always tell folks. And so I hope that you'll come back. He's away in California celebrating the second birthday of his grandson, Hudson. What a great life. Two years old and a birthday cake and uh, candles. Uh, it's a good thing to wake up to. And so he'll be back and I invite you to come back and uh, experience him. He's truly one of the most gifted Bible teachers I've ever experienced myself. It was exciting here this week to have Vacation Bible School going on. It looked kind of like you kicked over an anthill most of the days of the uh, thing, but it's a very exciting week uh, in the life of this church, and there's no way you can have that many children here and control the chaos without a lot of good volunteers. Uh, and I know that they serve because they want to, and they do it as under the Lord, and they don't want to call a lot of attention to themselves, but... I would ask you to humor me. If you served in any capacity at all of Vacation Bible School, would you just stand so we can just thank you for your service? Please just go ahead and stand up. So. Really great week in the life of this church. And we have a lot of people that are always serving behind the scenes, uh, whether ushers and the technical booths, other things. And one of them you experienced this morning, a uh, young woman, Rachel, up here helping to lead the singing. She's going away to college, so as often happens in this church, we uh, lose folks. Uh, she goes on her life's journey and uh, heads uh, off to school. And so if you see her here at the end of the service, you can thank her for her ministry. Really just talented young woman. I appreciate her helping to lead us in worship this morning and thank her for her time serving, not only in Vacation Bible School, but here at the church and certainly worshiping up here as well. Why don't we talk about whether or not you're maybe getting a little tired of waiting for God to do something that you want him to do in your life. Uh, and let's start off with a few questions. Which feels like a longer wait to you? When you're sitting in the doctor's office? When you're standing in line at the DMV to renew your registration? <clears throat> When you're in an airplane, they've already strapped you in, they've gone out to the tarmac, and then they announce that they have a mechanical problem that they're going to try to quickly fix, and you find yourself just strapped into the seat of the plane there. Listening to canned music when you call a supposed helpline to help you out with something. Or a trip to either Baltimore or Richmond via I-95. Which one seems like the longer wait to you? Truth be told, waiting is one of the hardest things that we do. Uh, we feel better if we are doing something uh, to address a need that we feel in our life. But if our efforts to do something fail, or as he often does, if God supernaturally puts us in a box that we can't seem to fix it ourselves, so we are forced to seek him and ask him for help, we have many lessons we can learn from such an experience about waiting for the Lord. David learned what it meant to wait for the Lord. He was chosen by God to be the next king of Israel, and then Samuel came out, 
asked to see the family, looked at all the brothers, said, no, these are not the ones. Don't you have anyone else? Well, we've got the youngest. He's out watching sheep. We'll go get him, bring him in. They brought David in. The prophet Samuel poured oil on his head, announced that he was going to be the next king of Israel. And then David began to wait for years for God's word to actualize, for him to begin reigning as king. And while he waited, a paranoid, self-centered, sometimes maniacal king remained on the throne that had been promised to him. David spent his time as it deteriorated uh, in a relationship with King Saul. Spent his time hiding in caves, living with enemies, he saw close friends murdered. He saw his wife taken and given to another man. He saw his possessions taken. He saw Israel's enemies attack his countrymen because of the poor leadership of the current king. He certainly became discouraged and at times even fearful. But during that time of waiting for the Lord, he also enjoyed the rewards that come from waiting for the Lord. Because of the things he was taught and trained during that waiting period, all those years out in the wilderness, he became the greatest king in Israel's history. But even more importantly than that, through that long waiting period and all those difficulties, he became a man after God's own heart. And that was God's description of him. It wasn't David's description of himself. That was God saying, this is a man after my own heart. The Psalms that he wrote during that period of being a fugitive have been cherished words of encouragement to me and to millions of other people throughout the ages, people of all ages, people of all cultures. God used him and recorded his thoughts out there in the wilderness all those years. One of the most repeated commands in scriptures, one of the most repeated exhortations in the Bible is the call to wait on the Lord. And even though God promises that he'll give special blessings for waiting, waiting is truly one of the most difficult commands that any of us ever tries to obey. And why is it so hard? Why is waiting on the Lord so very hard? Well, part of it's because we are a fallen humanity, because we are sinful people. So we're so prone to take matters into our own hands follow after our own schemes, our own devices, our own ways of trying to fix something. Yet over and over and over again in the scriptures, we are plainly told, wait on the Lord. Now that says a lot easier than it does, especially if you're in a job situation that's really tough to endure and you're waiting and hoping for conditions to change for the better. And they don't. In fact, they get worse. It's tough if you don't have a job. And maybe you're waiting for every new application to yield some fruit. Every interview you've done, maybe this will be the day that I get a job. Maybe this will be the day that I gain employment again, that I can start earning a living. Maybe you're ill or maybe somebody you love so much is ill and their body just seems to be out of control and the medical community doesn't seem to be offering any real help or long-term solution as you wait for health to improve, for quality of life to improve. 
Maybe it's something just as simple as you're on a diet and you're trying for your weight to drop a few pounds, but you feel like, God, I have given up every good thing. <laughs> I am doing the right thing and nothing is happening. One of my favorite cartoons shows a lady in a bathrobe standing on her uh, bathroom scale, but she has a uh, 38 revolver pointed down at the scale as she's uh, on it, you know? Maybe if you're a single person, it's hard to wait for Mr. or Ms. Wright. You want to be loved. You want to love somebody. And it seems like waiting for the Lord is not yielding what you would like. Or maybe you have a spouse or a child that you're waiting for them to become interested in spiritual things. Or an even greater heartache. You're waiting for them to return to spiritual things, to the things that they once believed, that they once practiced, that they once seem to take joy in. Now they seem to reject and they've walked away and you find yourself waiting. When we think about waiting for the Lord, there are a lot of important questions that need to be answered and understood in light of the principles and the promises of Scripture. Because the Lord does tell us to wait. And since it says, according to Scripture, that waiting has wonderful benefits, we need to understand what that means to wait and how it's to be done. Some key questions that... I certainly would ask, maybe you want to ask, you know, what does it mean to wait? What's involved in waiting on the Lord? How are we to wait? What are we to do, if anything, while we're waiting? Who and what are we waiting for? And the big why question, why should I wait? Why shouldn't I just do something as best I can understand? There's four Hebrew words used in the Old Testament and two Greek words used in the New Testament that are usually translated as wait. But as is the case with the original languages, as you see their usages in other places, it has more of a nuance than just the word wait when you look at each one of them individually. The first and the primary meaning, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, of the word wait, is, as it's translated, is to hope. To look eagerly or expect. And in the New Testament, it's oftentimes accompanied with the idea of hoping, looking eagerly for the return of Christ as you wait for that. A second translation means to wait. What a surprise. The word wait means wait. But it has another nuance to it that it means to tarry, to slow down, maybe to stop. To look at the situation that you're in. To look at what's going on in your life as you wait on the Lord. The third word is translated wait, but it oftentimes literally means to grow silent or be still. Shut it down. Just be still and wait on the Lord. So let's see how waiting for the Lord actually plays out in the lives of those who do it, or perhaps is the case... We're going to do it because the Lord has not given you another choice and has you in a place where you have to wait on him. Waiting means confident expectation as time passes. I want you to understand that. God doesn't usually do something immediately. He operates outside of time and space. So when you're waiting on the Lord, some time is going to pass. And as David saw, time, as it passed for him, was years that passed as he waited on the Lord. David, in his writings, as he's doing that waiting on the Lord, writes, I wait for the Lord. 
my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. You know, I spent 30 years of my life as a soldier with the U.S. Army, and a lot of those years were spent with the light infantry units. And what I would find is that as I travel around as a chaplain, a chaplain is a non-combatant, but I would sometimes be with a platoon for a couple of days doing religious services and other things. And there was always a young lieutenant that was trying to stay awake for four or five days nonstop uh, to accomplish the mission. And all that was doing was denigrating his leadership ability. And so I stood watch many a night uh, around a bunch of infantrymen Soldiers are out on the perimeter, and I'd tell the lieutenant or the young captain, just lie down there and get some rest. I'll kick you if something goes bump in the night, you know. And then I'd be standing there in the mud or whatever. It's better if you're dry than if you're wet. It's peering through the dark hour after hour, waiting for the night to pass and for the dawn to come up. And with the dawn, to get some warmth if you're cold, to get some illumination of what's around you, just waiting like a watchman in the night. I know what that means, this example that David gives here. But we, as we wait, are waiting for more than just time to pass. We're waiting for the Lord to act. And so just as the sun would always come up, day would break, light would replace darkness, cold would be replaced with the warmth of the sun, There's a sense that the regularity of the sun rising helps you to expect that to happen. A night watchman expects the sun is going to come up. Yeah, it may be a long night, may be danger around, may be peering out into the darkness, listening as well as I can, but the sun is going to come up. There is no doubt the sun will come up. So waiting means anticipation, expectation, confident hopes of what's going to take place. And that's what I want to make as my second point. Waiting involves an expectation based on knowledge and trust. Because without any sort of knowledge base, any sort of trust, we probably will not wait. At least not without anxiety. And we'll usually take matters in our own hands. Somehow or another, throughout our lives, I've seen and you've seen the sun rise every single day. The weatherman can tell you within one minute when it's going to break across the horizon tomorrow. It's never failed, never, not one time in the history of man. We know and believe that, well, since it's never failed, I can count based on its past performance that the sun is going to come up and so we can wait for it. What David is saying is, I wait for the Lord just like the watchman waits for that. He's the one that put that law of creation in effect. If I can trust that the sun is going to rise every morning, I can certainly trust the one who put that law of nature into effect. I used to slug into the Pentagon uh, in my later years in the military, and the sun would uh, come up. It's a picture of Christ rising out of the dark, the sunrise, if you will. It gave me hope as I would go into the Pentagon building time and time again that the sun is coming up. There's going to be life whenever I walk out of this building again. It's a... uh, (laughs) 
It's a picture that's based on past performance. And the emphasis in the Bible is that we're waiting. But time and time again, the emphasis in Scripture is that we're waiting for the Lord and for his loving kindness and his acts of loving kindness to us. At least 28 passages deal with the fact that when the psalmist is waiting, it says he's waiting for the Lord himself. That he's looking for the action of an almighty God in his life. Look again at the psalm that David wrote as he was learning to wait on the Lord. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. With him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So just as that watchman waits for the sun to come up because he knows the sun is reliable, the psalmist is saying, I am waiting for the Lord because he's even more reliable. He's the one that calls that law of nature to happen. So waiting, especially waiting for the Lord, is fundamentally wrapped up in knowing, trusting, believing, in the Lord, in his person, in his character, in his promises, in his power. The ability to wait on the Lord stems from being confident and focused on who God is and what he's doing. Think back about the life of David again. You're the youngest, so you get the job of watching the sheep that nobody else wants to do. But you're living an isolated life. You're out there while the sheep are always running around grazing anywhere. You're taking them from place to face where they can find water or they can graze on some sort of nutrient out in the desert, bushes and grass and stuff. He says that while he's out there as a young man, maybe even pre-teenager, he had to fight lions and bears. He became quite proficient with a slingshot out there all alone. He's got nobody else. There is no plan B. I've got to protect these sheep. They're a part of our livelihood and this is what I do. And so he got proficient with a slingshot. He didn't realize that God was using that as a training period because he's planning on making him king. How's he planning on making him king? Well, a slingshot's going to be part of how he chooses to make him king. He's got a lot of time out there with the sheep. So he buys himself or builds himself a lyre. He sits out there plenty of time, pluck, pluck, starts learning how to play it. He's evidently got a gifted voice, able to sing because he likes music and has plenty of time with the sheep. He's out there, he becomes professional on a lyre. He has no idea God's going to make him king someday. What's he going to use to make him king? He's going to use the lyre that he's going to play for a king who's depressed and buffeted by evil spirits and other things. So that in a moment in time, he's just on a resupply run to his brothers. He's just bringing a care package to them. He gets there, he sees an obscene giant named Goliath. Every man in the entire nation is scared and is not doing the right thing. They're letting this guy just blaspheme the Lord and they're just standing there doing nothing. David, as a teenager, because of the training period that God's been at work in his life, thinks he's a problem. Okay, we'll kill him, cut off his head. He's not a problem. <laughs> and he does. One young teenager does the right thing when not a single man in an entire nation does the right thing. 
He plays a liar that he's taught himself out there. It soothes the king. It gets him noticed by the king. It gets him noticed by others. So that now David, and he's, as he's hiding in the caves, as he's running, as he's been pronounced to be king, but he's not king, he can trust and say, the Lord is at work. He was at work in my life all these years before. I didn't know it. I didn't know whenever I was practicing throwing the rocks and stuff that that was part of the Lord's work in my life. I didn't know whenever I was teaching myself how to tune an instrument and do that, that that was part of the Lord's work in my life. But the Lord has been at work in my life for years. I can trust him and I can wait. I don't have to take action against an evil king myself. I can wait on the Lord. The ability to wait stems from being confident and focused on who God is and what he is doing. David learned that. It means confidence in God's person, confidence in his wisdom, in his love, in his timing, in his understanding of our situation and of world events. It means that I trust God's principles. I trust his promises. I trust his purposes. I trust his power in my life. So waiting involves things that we should do and some things that we shouldn't do. Corollary that David wrote as he's learning to wait on the Lord, Psalm 37. I kind of highlighted it, red for negative, yellow for positive, because there's some things we should do and some things we shouldn't do. He starts off, do not fret. Just stop right there. He starts off saying, don't do this. When you're having to wait, it's the time you become anxious and you start thinking, well, we got to do something. We, got, we just can't sit here. He says, don't fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious toward wrongdoers, but they're going to quickly fade like grass. They're going to fade like a green herb. Instead, this is what you do do. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Be filled with the Spirit. Live a holy life before the Lord and before others as a witness. Dwell in the land and cultivate it. Go to work. Get in the slug parking lot. Go into the building every day and go to work. Do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he'll do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noon day. And he continues on, giving you things to do and things not to do. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Some time is going to pass. Maybe a lot of time from your perspective, not from God's. He operates outside of time. Do not fret. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, I guess he felt the need to say it again. Do not fret. That's not what you're supposed to do because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Quit getting so angry. Stamp out the anger that's swelling up inside of you that you just feel so helpless and you can't seem to get this or this doesn't seem fair or this doesn't seem right or this person is doing such wrong Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Gee, a third time, just in case we didn't get it. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. 
So if I'm to do certain correct things and not do incorrect things, what does it look like when I do the correct things? Well, for me, it means that I'm spending time in the Word, that I'm studying it, I'm seeking answers, and I'm claiming God's promises. If I have a family member that has walked away from the Lord and it breaks my heart, and I read, train up a child. When he's old, he won't depart from it. I, I will put my hand on that. And I will tell him, I can't do this. But I'll wait on you. I spend time in prayer. I pray about issues. I pray for wisdom. How to be a pastor. How to be a father. How to be a husband. I pray for wisdom, how to be a witness for Christ. Pray for discernment. I spend time meditating as I read that word, as I pray on who God is and what he's wanting to do through me. How it is that he's acting, even if I don't see him acting, as I wait for a direction. And what I find is that as I meditate, as I study that word, as I pray, he uses that time to evaluate and sift me, my motivation. My attitude, my values, my priorities, my goals, my objectives. Why, Michael, do you want all your children to walk after the Lord? Is it too embarrassing to you if they don't? He sifts me. Why do you want some more money? Don't you have enough? Are you lacking anything? Why don't you give away some more of what you've got? He sifts me. Whether it's money, relationships, career, rank, titles... He wants me to learn to be content in him and wait on him. And that's the thing. Contentment and patience are so difficult, as I said, because we're fallen. We're a fallen humanity. We have a sin nature. Even after we've been gloriously saved, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We've been regenerated. You still have an old nature. You still have a war that goes on inside of you. And so there's always this temptation to just take things into your own hands. And so it takes constant renewal through the word, through fellowship with the Lord, through fellowship with other mature believers that you grow and that you struggle to change. Contentment and patience flies directly in the face of the delusion that Satan's been whispering to every person who's ever lived since human beings came into existence. The delusion is that man does not need God in order to find security, satisfaction, or significance. That you can do it on your own. You can make your own solutions. You can do it on your own. You have enough wisdom. And it's a lie from the pit. It always has been. But when we stay close to the Lord, if we study his word, if we pray, if we ask him to help us to learn to trust him, then he will mature us and grow us to be more like Christ in our day-to-day -day life. The scriptures teach that Jesus Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered. He modeled for us what it was to wait on the Lord. His disciples would go to sleep. He would go off and pray, oftentimes through the night, so that he could with confidence say, I don't say a word that my Father has not given me. I don't do a thing except what my Father wants. I have completely obeyed my Father in every way, I have waited on the Lord. The Apostle Paul learned to wait on the Lord and from the things he suffered and the time that he had to wait. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he writes, Therefore, we don't lose heart. 
But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction. Momentary light affliction. Being beaten for the cause of Christ numerable times. Being shipwrecked three times. Floating in the deep. Being stoned to death. Momentary light afflictions. For momentary light afflictions is producing for us the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. While we look at things that are not seen, but, oh, I'm sorry, while we look at things which are seen, but not at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, they're temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we learn to wait upon the Lord content and patient, learning what it means to be free from the things that the world system and Satan tells us that we need for significance or security or satisfaction in this life. And then we can say like Paul in Philippians 4, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. We laugh about that in the book of Acts class that I've been teaching since January up there where we study the Apostle Paul that he went through some severe hardship and some deprivation. And then other times he would think, okay, we're going to winter and stay here for a while. And where he chose to stay just happened to be on the Mediterranean. I thought, yeah, if you're going to gonna winter, you might as well stay at the Riviera. That's a good place to, uh, to winter. But he says, I've seen both. I'm not hung up on that. I know how to live with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In every, any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because I've learned to wait on the Lord. Now, in a church this size, I don't know what you might be going through at the moment, but... Whatever challenges you're facing, the challenge of Scripture to you as it is to me is to wait on the Lord because unlike anything that man is going to offer you, world system is going to offer you, Satan is going to whisper to you, this world is passing and it's fleeting. But the sovereign Lord of the universe loves you with a steadfast love and personally cares for you. He says, as your heavenly father. So that David can write, closing out here, his reflections about waiting for the Lord. Just as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. Most of you cannot even name the name of your great-great-grandfather and his spouse. That's how quickly we pass from remembrance of anything. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and who remember his precepts to do them, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. And if that's true, if he in high heaven is sovereign and rules over all, 
Then David writes in Psalm 27, one last verse, and we close with this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the example of the Lord Jesus, Paul, others who learn, as David did, to wait for the Lord. May we do that. May we spend time in your word. May we meditate and reflect on your past faithfulness. May we grow in our trust based on that and that alone. And then grow even more as we see your word promising to us that those who wait on the Lord will receive blessings, will receive satisfaction. Help us. You know our frame. You know that we're but dust. Be a kind Heavenly Father to us and help us to learn to wait on the Lord. Amen.